0: Good morning everybody. Ooh. I had to go find my Bible. <laughs> That's bad when the preacher got to hunt his Bible, isn't it? Today we're going to be in Psalms 139. And we're going to be singing, uh, we were singing about how great God is today. I want to just carry that thought on. Uh, Stephen didn't know I'd be preaching on this, but this uh, chapter in the book of Psalms will tell us how great He is and it will help uh, reveal some things ...to ourselves. I believe that's why it was written, uh, to, to open up our eyes to ourselves. And in that psalm, David wrote about worshiping God and how great God is. And, and so today, I, I would ask you to do something with me. Uh, just pretend that you don't know Him. Okay? Just, I, I know that's hard to do, because you do know Him. But just pretend that you don't, and you just happen to run across this psalm today and it's going to tell you about yourself and tell me about myself there's one thing that we all know every one of us knows this and at the same time every one of us had to learn this and that is that you cannot escape from god You cannot escape from Him. So let's stand together and read a few verses of Psalm 139. 139 verse 1 says this, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways even before there is a word on my tongue behold O lord thou dost know it all thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is too high i cannot attain to it Let's stop right there and pray. Lord, bless your word today in your house. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here together to hear your message. Lord, I pray that your will is accomplished in this room. I pray that someone allows you to capture them today. I pray that some heart is submitted to you. I pray that you rescue somebody today in this place. In Jesus' name, I lift you up. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. One thing we know, we all had to learn that you cannot escape from God. His eyes can penetrate the darkest places that we could possibly go. Remember, you're pretending that you don't know him, but you're going to read about him. You just read six verses about him. We've learned that he can understand us, he knows our thoughts. You know, you can run from God in this life and many people do and are attempting to do so and maybe there's someone in this congregation today right now that's been running from Him. But know this, that you cannot outrun Him. And know this, that if you dodge Him in this life, it does not change the fact that you will stand before Him in judgment. Now you can flee God you can reject him you can push him aside but one day you'll stand before him and you'll give an account I don't believe really that person would be standing I believe they'll be lying prostrate before God but just for general purposes let's just pretend that we're standing before him we've rejected him our entire life and now we meet him for the first time In judgment. You see, God is a a God that wants you to submit to Him. And once a person does that and acknowledges Him, puts Him in the proper place, something happens to this person. We suddenly see ourselves in a new light. And we certainly have found God in a new light. And in that Knowledge of knowing Him and Him knowing us, we find ourselves changed. And even though the holiness of God and His majesty penetrate our hearts and we receive that light, suddenly we find a need for purity within ourselves. We're going to find all of that today in this psalm. This is a psalm. It's a song, S-O-N-G. It was written by King David. It is intensely personal. How do I know that? Because in 24 verses, you will find the first person pronoun 48 times. David says, I or me, 48 times different times in this text so that's how I want to deliver it to you today but I'm going to say we we as personal pronoun if that's even proper English I don't know but you'll understand what I'm getting at we are going to talk about us today in respect to what David has written down In the light of God's holiness, we suddenly see a desperate need for ourselves to be pure before this holy God. Since we cannot escape God, then we cannot escape the need for this purity. That's the the crux of human living. That's, that's That's the key to it, is that we try to live in this world apart from Him. And the reason is, is because He wants us to be clean. And he wants us to be pure, but we don't want that necessarily as men and women. So we reject and we push and we dodge and we hide from God. And you can hide and you can run, but you can't outrun him. And like I said, one day you'll stand before him or you'll lie before him or you'll crouch before him or you'll be in the fetal position before him in judgment. So, a logical person would understand that God is all of these things, and the most logical conclusion would be then to submit to that holiness and that purity in our life. As I said, this is a song. It has four stanzas. The first stanza is God is all-knowing about you. The second one is God is all-present with you wherever you might try to go the third one is god is all powerful the last stanza is david's response to this god so i want you to pretend you don't know him you've just read a few verses about him and what he can do and what he does with you he all he is all knowing about you he knows your thoughts from afar Before you say a word, He knows what's going to come out of your mouth. That's scary, isn't it? In a way, that's frightening and that's threatening and that's part of the human problem is that the intimacy of God threatens us. Hey, we all want to be good and we all want to be accepted, but we have a safe zone, so to speak, that we call our own private life. And we don't even allow God in that, certainly not each other. And listen, God knows. And he is aware of even that private thought, that private word, that private deed that you might be doing. This is not Brother Clay's message. This is God's message to you. He's describing himself to you. He is all-knowing about who you are. That's my first point. Let me read those quickly again to you. Verse 1, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. I cannot understand that, God, how you can know me. I've known a lot of good, well, let me rephrase that. I've known a lot of people who say they're Christian, but don't believe that God can do that. They don't believe God can know their thoughts. They don't believe that God can know what they're going to say before they say it. They don't believe that God knows them that way. Jesus said in the New Testament, the very hairs of your head are numbered. You don't think He knows you? He knows you just like He said here, intimately He is acquainted with all of your ways. Don't let it frighten you, my friend. Let it bring peace to you and joy to you this morning. God knows everything about you. Our actions, our words, our thoughts. There is no escape from this thorough, penetrating knowledge that God has upon us. The closest that you and I could come to this as human beings would be or should be in the marriage relationship. The longer we live with our spouse. Spouse, the more that we know them, the more we understand them. Isn't it funny how the kids comment to you couples that are my age or older? How come you guys never talk? Isn't that funny? We can drive down the road, Gail and I can go to you, follow, and we can drive that whole way and not say a word to each other. But we know each other. We're thinking the same things, we're doing the same things. We have an intimacy with each other that is unsurpassed. We know each other. We don't have to do a lot of conversing. At least that's the man's point of view. (laughs) Of course, the women have a different idea about that, okay? But you understand, that should be the same relationship. I've been married to Gil for over 30 years now, and guess what? I still am learning things. Still understanding her a little better. The best that we could do as humans is this marriage relationship, but guess what? It does not hold a candle to what God knows about you. The Bible says God knows you in every way. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. We don't even know our own heart, but God searches it and He knows it and He understands it. You see, God knows you. God alone knows you thoroughly in this way. He reveals to us our own motives. How does God do that with this right here, with this word? He reveals to us our own intentions and our own motives. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God reveals my own intentions to me through His Word. Now you know why people don't read the Bible. I don't want to have my thoughts judged. I don't want to have my intentions scrutinized or my motives I have a plan. I want to carry it out, but God is against it. So I can't read his word because he goes crossways with me. And so people don't believe God's word. They don't read the word. They reject it. They announce that there is no God. Psalm, uh, Psalm 14, I believe, says this The fool says in his heart, There is no God. So how do I handle all of this? I have to submit to God's word I have to submit to God's authority if he can see me more than I can see me and he wants me to be right and he wants me to be pure and clean then why don't I submit to it it's because I don't want that I want something else I want what I think is called life God calls purity and holiness life man calls it something else So, if God can do all of that, then where can I go? This leads me to the second point. Where where could I go? Let me back up just a minute. Since Eden, Adam and Eve, and the fall that took place in that, when they disobeyed God's word and they committed the first sin, then this intimate relationship with God was now threatening to mankind How do we know that it says because God came one day walking in the garden in the cool of the day and he said Adam where are you and you know what God knew where he was and God had known what he did but he was asking Adam that so that Adam would know what he had done Adam had broken that fellowship Adam had been Adam broke that intimacy with God and now what was Adam doing? He was hiding. He was hiding from God. How could you possibly want to hide from God? Because of guilt and because of shame. Why don't people come to church? Why isn't this place full? Because we all live with guilt and shame and it's easier to hide from Him than it is to confront it and allow Him to deal with it. Why don't We come to the front of the church during the invitation time because I don't want anybody to think there's something wrong with me. I don't want people to question why I'm going down and getting on my knees and weeping tears of remorse or regret or joy. I don't want people thinking differently of me. I want to be different just like everybody else. I remember that when I was a kid, I wanted to wear my shirt tail out at school. I wanted to unbutton it down to here, and I wanted to have holes in my pants, and now I get on to my granddaughters about that. But my dad said, what's the wrong with you, boy? We buy you nice clothes. Why won't you wear them? I said, Dad, I want to be different. He said, you want to be different just like everybody else in your class. They all wanted to dress like that. You see, it's the guilt and the shame that we have that keeps us from this intimacy with god because we end up hiding from him and this is what adam and eve experienced and this is what men and women today experience like i said we want to be known we want to be right but we want to do it in safe limits and even with our faults god still pursues you god still is after you god still is chasing you but now there's this barrier that has come in between us and him And so God gave Adam and Eve an object lesson right there in the garden. You know, it says that they hid themselves and they realized they were naked and they covered themselves with fig leaves. God comes along and He says, where are you? They come out and they converse. And God says, those aren't going to do it. And so God, right there, I believe, in my mind's eye, I picture this, God took a lamb and He slaughtered it right in front of Adam and Eve and they saw the death the first death of anything they saw the death and the cause of it was their sin and god took that lamb and he made skin covering for adam and eve why why wouldn't the fig leaves work well let's talk about that why wouldn't the fig leaves work well number one is that they would dry up and wither and turn to dust and then they would still be exposed It was man's attempt to cover his sin. And God said, That will never work. He said, Because I told you, if you eat of that fruit in the tree, of the tree in the middle of the garden, what would happen to you? They would die. And so God told them right then that sin brings death. And so God temporarily allowed them to witness and view the death of an animal for their sin. And he took that skin and he covered them. God provided the substitute, not man. And it was, of course, a foreshadowing of years and centuries and millennias later that Jesus, God himself, would come and shed his own blood for our sin what a great man brother what a great picture that god gave us in the old testament there in the garden so with that in mind where can i go to hide from god i can't go anywhere let's read on in our text verse 7 david sees the majesty of god and the reality of god's knowledge and so he proclaims in verse 7 where can i go Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. David says, if I realize how much you know me, now where can I go? Can I go to heaven? Well, God's going to be there. Can I go to the place of the dead? That's Sheol, the place of the dead. Can I go there? God's going to be there. Can I go to the east? The wings of the dawn can i go east and get away from god no he's there can i go into the sea in the bottom of the sea no he's there as well everywhere that i might try to go god is there back when the soviets were racing us into space the first Soviet cosmonauts got into space and looking back on the earth, they mocked God and they told the the Kremlin in Moscow, we don't see God up here either. But let me tell you, God was seeing them and God sees you because no matter where you might go, God is there and He will be there. And what I love about that set of verses is this look in verse 10 with me even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will hold take hold or lay hold of me no matter where i go god's going to get a hold of me no matter where you try to hide or run god's hand will get you he will hold you he will find you There's no place that you can run from Him. There's no place that you can hide from God. He is everywhere, and wherever He is, He lays hold of you. A college student, his junior year, had become a ladies' man. And he had women calling him all the time. And he spent that evening on the phone with three or four different women and talking to him and and they were calling him and he was calling them and his phone rang and he picked it up and he said, Talk to me, baby. And his mom said, Billy, is that you? And he straightened right up. Isn't it funny how the presence of our mom on the phone can straighten up our behavior? How much more... Shouldn't the presence of God straighten up our behavior? Wherever we are, wherever we go, He is there. When you're committing that secret sin, I'm going to spoil your life for you right now. When you're committing that secret sin that nobody knows about but you, I want you to know something today. He's with you. He's watching you do it. He's sitting right beside you while you're doing it. I hope that affects you from this day forward. That wherever you are and whatever you're doing, He is with you. You cannot get away from Him. Now, even in our beginning, uh, uh, let me back up my third point. Verse, 17, or verse 13, you cannot escape from God's power. We looked at you cannot escape from his knowing you. You cannot escape from his presence wherever you go. Verse 13, you cannot escape from his power and his sovereignty over you. Verse 13, for thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book there are or were all written the days that were ordained for me, yet as when there were not one of them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Wow, God's power and sovereignty. He formed you, and He knew you before He formed you. Can you imagine that? Can you even contemplate that again David said this is too high for me I cannot attain to it I cannot understand how God could know me and form me before how he could know me before he formed me how he could understand me how he knew my thoughts how he knew my words even before I say them Verse 16, a wonderful text. Thine eyes have seen my unfortunate substance and in thy book they are all written, the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. I'm glad you guys are figuring that out. What is that saying right there? That before you were formed and made, God allotted an amount of days for you. And nothing... Could change that. Nothing speeds it up, nothing slows it down, nothing changes the day, nothing adds to the day. God ordained the days for you to live even before there was one of them. Nothing can touch you, nothing can change that. Amen to that, amen. So, with all of that being said, let's uh, go on here. It says, when we are, uh, even from our beginning, we are not hidden from God. Augustine said this, that men will travel the world and look and view and worship the heights of the mountains, the vastness of the forest, the courses of the rivers, the majestic sea, and they will pass by themselves without wondering how they were made or what they consist of. I found something I want to read to you, all right? It has to do with you and me in our bodies. Consider this. The miracle of the human body. Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. It has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and what you hear. That information or some of it comes to you through the miracle of the eye, which has 100 million receptor cells in each eye. Your retina also has four layers of nerve cells. Altogether, this system makes the equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before an image even gets to the optic nerve. Once it reaches your brain through that optic nerve, the cerebral cortex has more than a dozen separate vision centers in which to process this image. Your tear ducts supply a bacterial-fighting fluid to protect your eyes from infection. The tear that fights irritants differs from the tears of sadness, which contain 24% more protein. That's not to mention the miracle of the ear and how it translates sound waves into meaningful speech and sounds or of touch, taste, and smell. Part of your brain regulates voluntary matters, such as muscle coordination and thought processes. Other parts of the brain control involuntary processes, such as digestion, the rate at which your heart beats, and etc. How did it accidentally happen that your body could speed up its heart rate to the proper speed to meet increased oxygen demand when you exercise, and then slow itself down when that need is met? One square inch of your skin has about 625 sweat glands, 19 feet of blood vessels, and 19,000 sensory cells, all working in coordination with your brain to maintain your body temperature at a 98.6 degree average under all weather conditions. Your stomach has 35 million glands, which secrete the right amount of juices to allow your body to digest food and convert it into stored energy. To avoid digesting itself, your stomach produces a new lining every three days. Your body is an efficient machine. To ride a bicycle for an hour at 10 miles per hour requires... 350 calories the same energy in gasoline is three tablespoons your body is more efficient than any machine that man could make you have more than 200 bones each of them shaped for its function connected intricately to one another through lubricated joints that cannot, by the way, be duplicated by modern science. More than 500 muscles connect these bones. Some obey willful commands. Others perform their duty in response to unconscious demands from the brain. They all work together to keep us alive. The heart muscle itself beats 103,000 times each day, pumping your blood cells a distance of one hundred and sixty eight million miles coupled with that your lungs automatically breathe in the right amount of oxygen which just happens to be mixed in the right proportions in our atmosphere each of the other vital organs and glands in your body works in complex conjunction with the others to sustain life which science cannot explain or create I have not even mentioned the complexity of human cells. Listen to this. A single human chromosome, a DNA molecule, contains 20 billion bits of information. How much is that? What would be its equivalent if it were written down in an ordinary printed book in modern human language? Well 20 billion bits are the equivalent of about 3 billion letters. If there are approximately six letters in the average word, the information content of a human chromosome molecule corresponds to about 500 million words. If there are about 300 words on an ordinary page of printed type, this corresponds to 2 million pages. If a typical book contains 500 pages, the information content of a single human chromosome corresponds to 4,000 volumes of books. When, let me find that, when the Viking lander landed on Mars in 1976, each Had or it had its instructions in its computers amounting to a few million bits of information. This is slightly more than a molecule DNA of bacteria, but it is significantly less than uh, a molecule DNA of algae. So we put something on Mars with less information than we find in the DNA of a piece of algae. And yet, we pass by the miracle of the human body that God created. God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. Amen? Now, with all of that said, what do we do with a God like this? What do we do with a God who can do these things? Look in verse Nineteen. Oh, that thou wouldest slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate thee, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against thee? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. A correct response according to David, is to hate the enemies of God and his own enemies. But doesn't that sound offensive to us Christians to hate somebody? To hate our enemies when Jesus told us in the Old Testament to love our enemies? What's going on here? Is is the Bible contradicting itself? Are we finding some new teaching this morning that tells us we're to hate the people that are opposed to us? Of course not. And let me explain to you and let's figure this out together. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. What about loving our enemies? What's the difference in hating them and loving them? Well, the Bible gives that explanation. Remember I told you last Sunday, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Amen? You don't need to go to other commentaries. You need to dig into your word and you'll find the answers that you're looking for. Compassion for people is loving them versus being compatible with them. As a Christian, I am to have compassion on everyone, even my enemies. When I stand and read this text that David wrote, I find that he's telling me not to be compatible with my enemies. But at the same time, I have a message to deliver to my enemies. That proves that I love them. Amen? If I don't care about my enemies and I hate my enemies and I never talk, reach out to, concerned with my enemies, then I am committing Christian crime. But if I hate what my enemies do and I hate what they stand for and I hate everything about them, but yet I reach out with the message in compassion for them Then I'm committing Christian love. You see that? There's a huge difference. There's people in our lives that we hate, but we're not supposed to. We are supposed to hate what they do. Well, let me read it to you from the New Testament. Jude, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter these words, Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some... Have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Jude tells us to extend mercy and compassion while we hate what they do. You see the difference? You cannot hate your enemies and leave it at that. Biblically, Christianity-wise... You must reach out with the message of Christ. Then you have compassion while you hate what they're doing, while you hate what they are standing for or what they represent. Now, what is David telling us here? Let's go back to verse 19. Holiness means living apart from the wicked. If God knows everything about me, if God is everywhere that I try to go, if God is all powerful in everything that He does, what's my response to that? To stay apart from the wicked. To hate it enough that I don't do it. To hate it enough that I turn away from it. The second part. Holiness means living apart from the wicked, but reaching them with the message. The second part, holiness means living openly before God. Let's read verse 23 and 24 at the end of our chapter. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. David hardly mentions the irreverence of the wicked when he suddenly realizes his own need of cleansing. You can go around bashing the wicked, but you better look within. Okay? You can go around talking about how bad they are and what they're doing wrong and how you would do it different and all the things that they deserve, but you better look within also, brother. Look within your own heart. David does just that, and he invites God to do this. David's not concerned that God would know David more. David's concerned that God would reveal David to David. Search me, God. I can't find anything But I know your light will shine in the darkest corners of my life where my sin hides, where my sin originates. God, invite you to look at me. In my opinion, those are the bravest words that a man could say. When you stand Kneel, lay before him, and you open that heart, and you invite God to look in it. And let his light shine in the darkest recesses of your life. Woo, man, we're talking some serious stuff right here. Amen? We want to be righteous within, not just righteous without. Hey, I can fake it. I can look to be the Christian part and I can do all the Christian things and I can say all the Christian words and know all the Christian stories and I can fool all of you in this place because I am righteous on the outside because I want to be holy on the outside and I can do it because I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm wise, I can do these things. But as far as being holy and righteous on the inside... I have nothing of myself. We have to invite God to look. Isn't that where we desire righteousness is on our inside? Isn't that where we desire holiness is on our inside? If you desire this today, and not to be fake with an outer righteousness, but an inward righteousness, then you must constantly confront your thoughts with God's Word. Look what it says in Hebrews 2, verse 1. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What happens to a man? He comes to church, he gets baptized, he does all the things he's supposed to do, and then he skips a Sunday. And he'll come a couple, and then he skips another Sunday. He comes a couple, then he skips Sunday school. and And then he skips, and then he skips, and then he skips. And pretty soon... Where are you? He's drifted away. This is what the Hebrews tells us. You better pay attention to what you have heard, unless you drift away from it. We don't drift towards righteousness, do we? We don't become better at getting godly, we drift from it. It's our natural default position. To drift away from Him, not to drift to Him. So it takes concerted effort for us to be right. And to stay close. And to be in fellowship with Him. And to trust His Word. And when I read His Word, what happens? I have to submit to it. Remember last week we were in James or two weeks ago and we were in James and we discovered that a person who hears the word but does not obey it, what's he doing to himself? He's deceiving himself. If I don't do what I know to do, I am deceiving myself. I'm not deceiving you. You're not deceiving me. We deceive ourselves. And then we lose sight and we begin to drift. Why? Why? all because we don't want somebody to think less of us and go down to the front and get my life right with God. Every person that I can think of, just off the top of my head, that tells me their testimony about their salvation experience that happened in a church setting, all of them Tell me this, that when they got up from that pew, the place was empty. Yes, there was not another person in the room. And they came down that aisle. And they met Jesus. And by the way, Jesus met them in the aisle. And he walked hand in hand with them as they came forward and submitted themselves to God. You know, I, I, I'd fought that for 34 years. I fought submitting to God. I knew Him. I knew of Him. I knew the stories. I knew the things I should have done, and been doing. But I never submitted to Him until I was 34 years old. And it didn't matter to me who, where, when, or what. Jesus and me is all that mattered. Today I want you to understand that. This is what God's doing for you. He wants to open you up. He wants to look inside you. He wants to help you. When you finally submit to Him, here's what you discover. That His intentions were never to harm you. That's why people are afraid of coming to God because He's going to change me. He's going to make me something I don't want to be. He's going to do this in my life or He's going to do that in my life. And we think He's trying to harm us in some way. And the reality is that when you come to Him, you are blessed by Him, not harmed by Him. And life becomes life, not existence anymore. A person without Jesus is just existing in this planet. But a person with Jesus is living life to the fullest. And guess what? Heaven is desert. Okay? What makes heaven so great? Because it's heaven? It's because Jesus is there. That's the only thing that makes heaven so great, is that He is there. He knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. He's made you with a purpose. And now He's calling you and asking you to invite Him to come in and look. And make you aware of what's going on in your life and allowing you the opportunities to submit to that and to be free and to be saved. What greater thing could a person do today? Since we cannot escape him, then the sensible thing to do is to submit to him. Submit to him now. He does not want to harm you, but he wants to bless you. Today, you may know somebody that needs that. You might be that person. I don't know. I'm not questioning. I know this, that when you come to the front of the church, that my heart is praying over you for whatever reason you are here. I know there's men in this room that have been called into the ministry, but you're refusing to submit to that. I know women in this church who have been called to serve and to volunteer, but you are resisting it you are rejecting it because it's not lining up with your life or your style or your desires please this morning ask god to open your heart and look and then when he reveals something to you submit to it when you read your bible and he reveals to you what you need to do submit to it submit to it just do it And you will experience everything that you want without realizing it today. Let's stand together. Stephen's going to come and lead us in a song. This altar is open for you. If you need to speak with me, I'll be here. I'm turning my microphone off. Nobody will hear us, okay? But you come as we sing. Let's pray together. Father, bless this moment as your spirit moves in this place, Lord. You are a great God, a great Father. And Lord, we know that your way is right and it is true. Help us to see it, submit to it, and live it. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stephen.